find somebody that, that you know has the answers that you need and offer them money per hour. If you start the conversation by acknowledging that their time is valuable and offering straight, cold, hard cash. This is The E-Commerce Leader, a show for you, the owner of a thriving online business. In this shorter episode, we bring you our hot takes on topical and central e-commerce subjects, fresh from our expert panel, Chris Green, Jason Miles, Kyle Hamer, and myself, Michael Beasley. Let's jump in. Today's sponsor is Eva, the most intelligent Amazon scaling toolkit online. Amazon sellers need exact, quick-to-read profit reports. Many sellers already pay a lot of money for these. Eva has world-class finance analytics with crystal-clear graphs included at no extra cost. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers, averaging a 51% increase in profits. To get a 15-day free trial, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash E-V-A. Our conversation today is about manufacturing items yourself as a business owner. Different twist, and I think we've all got points of view on it. Many of us work with uh, clients, and we do coaching and mentoring, familiar with people who are in this space, and we each have our own takes on it personally as well to some degree. So let's jump into it. Kyle, I'm going to start with you. What's your hot take on manufacturing items yourself as a business owner? Any uh, perspective you can bring to the party today? For sure. I mean, obviously, it's going to widely depend on your product, your niche, and your experience, I think, in that product or category. But let's be honest, manufacturing is a completely different business model than marketing and selling and building a brand, even if you're selling it on a marketplace, right? So you have to prepare for the fact that you are launching, even though it's aligned, even though it is providing business value potentially uh, to your business overall, it is completely separate business model. And you're going to have to navigate that. And and it's going to be uh, capital intensive as well. So you just got to know what it's going to be like. I love the idea of it. I love the thought of it. Looking into a little bit myself over the last uh, few years, it's definitely something that's on uh, the radar. But I'm not quite personally ready to pull the trigger on it myself. So talk to us a little bit about that. You've got your items made in uh, China currently, but you've, mm-hmm. you're tempted by the idea of doing some manufacturing yourself, huh? Uh, tempted, yeah. And, and if I did it, I, you know, I've, I've actually, we actually met with some guy who is big. So I'm in the art supply. We do a lot of, we do notebooks, right? So paper space. So we're, we're doing paper primarily. And I talked, we talked to this guy who was an expert in paper manufacturing, met him and we talked for a couple hours and he just walked through the processes and he said, you know, definitely you can do it. Here's the machines and what you need to do it. You got to be aware of the legislation, the legal around in ordinances in order to do that. So like, we were like, well, could we create it here in the town we were in? And he's like, probably not. You're probably not going to get zoned to, to do paper products, at least very easily. You might have to go to more of an industrial area, so on and so forth. And so that was sort of the conversation. But, you know, it is very capital intensive. It is a skill set that you have to learn as well. So that was sort of like, it's a nice in my mind to, to do. And I think it sort of aligns and integrates our supply chain. But for me, it's still a little bit of a bridge too far in my mind. Yeah, right, right, right. Okay, let's go around the table here. Chris, what are your thoughts on making items yourself? So of course, we're talking physical items primarily, but also this, of course, 
can transition into digital as well. Take it where you want to go. I don't want to take it all the way to digital and all the way to print on demand because I've been in this space for a long time. And when I hear manufacturing your own products, I'm like, that's something I don't know a lot about. And that's where I think people should kind of go with this. Be like, okay, if I don't know a lot about this, how can I find out more? How can I make sure that I'm getting good information? Where can I find somebody that has the answers to the questions that I have? Because these are serious questions, not just like, you know, how do I interpret a keepograph? Or like, can I buy a target to resale? Like, yeah, big deal kind of questions versus, okay, if we're manufacturing, I need to make sure that my suppliers uh, aren't putting lead paint in their products because of this code in the USA and all these different things. And you get into, you know, those types of details as well as insurance and liability and all these extra things that you take on when all of a sudden you're selling your, not just your own like private label type products, which is just someone else's product kind of repackaged. They've already done all the manufacturing work and the, you know, the testing and all that stuff. Now you're making something completely custom manufactured just for you. You need to make sure that nothing's going to happen to the consumer that if something, if the worst possible case happens, you have the proper insurance to go along with it. They're using a supplier that is reputable and has done this before and knows what they're doing. And they're not just taking whatever order they can get. And, you know, honestly, I would find somebody like you guys to say, Hey, can I buy an hour of your time? Can I just ask you a bunch of questions on the phone or on zoom? So you can like point me in the right direction. That's going to save people not just time, but just money in sense of just getting to where they need to go. Because if someone came to me with those questions, I was like, no, go talk to Kyle. Like, because he's got the answers. But I, I wouldn't say go Google it, right? I wouldn't say, oh, join a Facebook. Like, this stuff, you know, the seriousness of the question of making sure that you have the things, the proper things in line, uh, I mean, you really need to get an expert. And if that costs some money, that's the money you need to spend. That's that's not the time to go cheap. Yeah. Love it. So, All right, Michael, Chris, what are your thoughts You're on saying it? you can't learn everything on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> you no, learn a lot, it, What? What? It's, it's probably all out there <laughs> yeah. in multiple pieces in different corners of YouTube. And if you want to spend the next 140 hours finding it, yeah. knock yourself out. You're still not going to know it's the right stuff, even though you think it's the right stuff. Versus coming to somebody like Kyle who has the experience and say, look, like off, on, here's my strategy, honestly. Find somebody that, that you know has the answers that you need and offer them money per hour and they're probably going to say up oh, I, I don't and that you know just starts that conversation but if you start the conversation by acknowledging that their time is valuable and offering straight cold hard cash that's going to at least open the door to a reply instead of a hey hey jason can i can i pick your brain over a christmas break you're gonna get a hard no because he's spending time with his family like he's doing his own business kind of thing Anyway, minor rant there, but people don't. It's, it works every single time. Offer you want to work with an influencer on Instagram? First message you send them: How much for a sponsor post? Like, let them know you are offering cash yeah. for in exchange yeah. for the knowledge that you want from them. Anyway, yep. All right, love it, Michael. What are your thoughts? Yes, yeah, so it's so a follow-on, really, from uh, Chris's point. I think the barrier to making stuff yourself isn't necessarily the making. And to the point of, you know, can you look on YouTube? You know, if you want to know how to mix up some kind of face cream from various different ingredients, I'm absolutely sure uh, this is a, a bet, but a fairly strong one, that there is some stuff on YouTube that will tell you that. So I've got three examples of, of people I know that I've started making their own stuff. But I think the barrier isn't the making, it's the legislation and the legal side, in my opinion, particularly as Amazon's terms of service develop. And, and I don't even know how Shopify interacts with you know, the, the legal systems of the world, but they're going to be in there. So I had one client who made a skin, taught himself to make skin cream at his kitchen table, which I thought was really cool. I had another client who was 
uh, to your point, Kyle, it's a completely different business. She was very, very good at making products at her kitchen table. That was her whole business. And she sold a whole 10 units a month on Shopify and proved incapable of, of moving on to Amazon somehow. At least I couldn't get her there. I mean, the hint came when she couldn't have a working laptop. <laughs> so some people just are good at making stuff and aren't great at the digital marketing. But I think the big uh, barrier is is getting the legislation right. And to your point, Chris, um, first of all, people are always asking this in the Facebook group that I run, and there is no simple answer. There's no magic kind of place in the sky where people dish out certificates for wildly varying products. If you're going to get through FDA or even the European Union legislation, both of which are tough barriers, you just need to approach an expert in a very specific area, such as topicals uh, or face screen specifically, and find out what the legislative jump hoops you are you've got to jump through. I've researched this in great detail for clients in the past, and the truth is it keeps mutating. So as you said, Chris, find an expert and pay them is, is honestly going to be quicker than trying to make stuff yourself, which maybe you can do in a month and then spend six months trying to piece together the legislation. Yeah, great, great thoughts, man. Okay, so my, uh, my take on this is a little different than you might expect, but honestly, my dog is uh, <laughs> bugging me right now. Okay, I'm going to hold my thoughts, but Kyle or Chris respond to what Michael just said, and then I'll share my thoughts about how we do manufacturing in Zambia for a lot of products. Backing up on what, what Michael just said, he's talking about face creams, right? Which I, I fear Dunning-Kruger effect creeps in where people are like, oh, this, how hard can this be? I, I heard that you can just make face creams on your kitchen table, which Michael, when you said, I was like, please add an extra sentence to be like, if you're doing that, make sure it's a sterile environment and make sure you have all of your kind of ducks in a row. Because I've seen people packing FBA shipments of food on their garage floor, like Oreos. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is not a good look for everybody. But if you get into categories like face creams and things you put in and on your body, you better know what you're doing, right? Because people have allergic reactions and sometimes severe allergic mm -hmm. reactions. And I think people don't think ahead. They think, oh, I don't have an allergic reaction to this and I love it. So everybody else will love it. Like it, there are so many levels to this. And I, I fear that people think, oh, I watched the YouTube video. This isn't that hard. I was yeah. like, no, like it's way harder than you think. And even if you think it's not that hard, you have to be able to acknowledge that you're probably wrong and still keep looking for more information because the, the stakes are just too great when you get into not just manufacturing your own products, but topicals, you know, ingestibles, you have to know what you're doing. Like spend the money now or you're going to go bankrupt later. Yeah. So my hot takes on this are from our charity's point of view. In Zambia, we have 64 people on our team and we create purposeful products for sewing and soap making and food. Farm fresh food is a purposeful product in our view. So for the sewing team, we'll do basic manufacturing for about 1,500 school uniforms a year. And then for reusable hygiene pad products for girls, we'll do about 40,000 units a year. And then for soap making, I don't even know how many units we've done. But with COVID response, we literally made probably, I would guess... 4,000 bars of soap, something like that with our soap team. And then on the home front at Pixie Fair, we have a product that we package, make and package and sell. It's not a huge part of our overall revenue, but it's a, it's a shoe soles actually <laughs> for craft project work. And, and we, we sell a lot of them and the margins are great on them. So from those points of view, I, I kind of can speak into this to some degree. I would say a few hot takes. Number one, if you're currently an e-commerce operator and you've got an opportunity for a manufacturing product or project, start small 
and start slow and work your way through the details. The legal issues are different for different things. Some are big deal, some are non-big deal at all. And so you just have to look through them. That's not really that complicated to understand. Now, you might look into something like ingestibles and realize you want no part of that business. Fair enough. But there are other things that are really not, they're they're commonplace products that aren't that really legislatively uh, onerous. And so you just want to look into it. The reasons to control base manufacturing are pretty obvious. It can radically lower your cost. If that's not true, you don't want to do it. But if it is true, then you have, in essence, an unfair advantage against competitors. And in the charity context, we control base manufacturing because we're passionate about creating jobs. So we're actually like, for example, this next year, and then actually in the next couple months, we'll be adding another almost 40 people to our team in Zambia because it's, you know, we're growing employment to create the products. And so, you know, every one of these things starts small and you figure it out as you go. We started with eight ladies in 2009, 2010 in Zambia. And in the next few months, we'll have close to 100 on our team there. And and I, I think there are things to be cautious over, but there are also huge opportunities to be had. One other final comment, just before we go around the table again, is there are all different shades of implementation. You know, you can... You can control parts of products that then need to be packaged up or reworked and put labels on and put out, you know, co-packers in the food industry, they'll take a lot of product and and do the finish work of it, get it in the customer facing form. But that doesn't mean they're base manufacturers of all the components. And there's so many little iterative loops in there where you get parts of things and then you have somebody put them together or somebody on your team puts them together and makes the finished product out of it. Those, all those elements to me are interesting because again, they create an opportunity for radical reduction in cost frequently. And that means you've got an opportunity to win in any unique way. And you can, you know, a lot of people who come into private label or come into e-commerce, they'll look for products and be like, well, I can get two times markup or I can be a wholesaler and I can make, you know, like 17%, you know, margin on uh, above cost. Well, if you do base manufacturing, you can literally find opportunities to have 10x or or 15x or 20x your cost because you've stripped out all the layers of expense. And those are that's the reason to to look into this. So so those are just I, I guess enticing positive attributes of the opportunity that I think might make sense for some people in some industries in some categories with the right mm-hmm. skill sets. <laughs> So with all those caveats, I think there is opportunity to some degree. Kyle, let's go back to the top of the table and go around again if you, or Michael, feel free. Go ahead, Michael. I was just going to say to your point, I mean, what strikes me we haven't discussed yet is we've kind of skirted around is which stage of business you're at and the reasons why you would do do your stuff yourself. Mm -hmm. So the three examples that I know personally are all when they're very early stages and it was a way to test the market without committing, without over committing to expensive uh, manufacturing and also very time consuming. If you make it at your kitchen table, yes, to your point, Chris. 100% 100% you need to know what you're doing. And, and I wouldn't advise amateurishness when it comes to ingestibles or topicals, you're absolutely right. But nevertheless, you can you can speed things up and you can reduce risk. That's a very different reason for what you're talking about, Jason, which I think is when you're more much more advanced entrepreneur and got an established business for taking things back mm-hmm. in-house, probably from outsourcing mm-hmm. it in order to get your market from 5X or 4X to 10X, mm-hmm. as you say. So I think it's really important to be clear which stage your business you're at and, and why you're going to do it. That's the main thing that struck me. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole website of 
manufacturers called Etsy and they do all their own <laughs> manufacturing, right? The, the challenge is, is that when you go from doing a hundred or even a thousand units a year to doing a hundred thousand to a million units a year, there's a, there's economies of scale. Now I will say this to Jason's point about it lowering your cost a hundred percent. There's also another layer to it. And that is you can actually take an expense line and potentially turn it into an income stream. Amazon is classically one of the best companies in the world at doing this. I mean, AWS, which is their web hosting, which most of the internet runs on at this point, was really built to serve their their hosting for Amazon. Well, they turned around and turned it into a product and sold it. And it's been one of the more profitable segments of their business for the last 10 years and continues to be extremely profitable. So if you actually controlled all of your manufacturing and you had capacity still in your system, there's no reason why you couldn't become a manufacturer for even your competitors if you wanted to, because now you're taking money and you're making, yeah, you're making it for competitor, but you're still making money and you're, you're turning that expense line into an actual revenue generation income stream in your business. And I think that's really, really smart. And any, any time that we can do that in our businesses and think about ways to do that, it, it's going to make a big difference. Yeah, totally agree. Chris, any additional thoughts? I like the idea of what, and Michael, you're right. We kind of skirted around a few different issues as far as like why you'd even want to do this, but having ultimately control over your, your business is something that, you know, I'm coming from the, the print on demand world where, yeah, you're at the mercy of Amazon's printers. You're at the mercy of a direct to garment printer. You're at their mercy. But if you can control all that, if you control your entire manufacturing process, uh, yeah, you're in control and you have fewer risks. And I think people, are un, I think maybe just unaware how low things can cost when you find out about like how much it actually costs to make and package and ship this product. You're like, wow, that's actually really low. It's really low if you control everything. It's not going to be that low if you rely on other people to kind of take a little bit of that risk off of you uh, and they're going to get a little bit of peace. So you think about it that way, but it's, it's love. And I love print on demand. I love what Michael's talking about with his clients where you can test small. And then when you get that validation, be like, okay, now let's get big. And then that's where you need that expert to come in and say, look, what does it take to go from a thousand units a year to a hundred thousand units? Cause if you don't know how to do that, yeah, you don't know how to do that. And there's, there's a great book that I love. It's like, what got you here won't get you there. So it got you to a thousand units uh, a year. It's great, but that skill set is not going to get you to 100,000. That's a completely different skill set to get there. So it goes back to my first piece of advice is find someone who has done, already done what you want to do and beg to work with them. Work for them for free. Offer to be their apprentice. Offer to be their social media manager for free for six months. Whatever it does, it takes to get in the door. Yeah. And then you're going to have a connection that can get you, keep you on the right track so you don't have to make the mistakes along the way and be like, oh, I didn't know you shouldn't do that. Well, if you just asked an expert, you would have known. But anyway, yeah. I digress. No, it's a great point. Uh, a recent example of that for, for us in our teams is uh, our soap team in Zambia does a process where they basically just melt down and reconstitute to soap chards or, or chunks and re and form it and cut it but we're working hard to have them control more of the process like through base manufacturing and so we didn't know how to do that so i looked on youtube to find the coolest youtuber that i could find on this it's a lady from australia named ellie i reached out to her and said hey our team in zambia needs to learn do you do consulting? She was like, I love consulting. Yes. What? Tell me more. Told her about our project. She was like, I would love to do this. And the hourly rate I'm going to pay for out of pocket is low, relatively speaking low. And then there she, there we go. We've got a fantastic consultant 
from Australia who knows everything about uh, hot processing soap, as they call it, and, and she's going to teach our team more. So the technical capacity is global and, and, and re- readily available. And so, and it's just, it's a big wide world out there now. It's just, it's amazing to me. We can have a team in Zambia on Zoom with the lady from Australia. I had to use the world clock to figure out when we should all meet because it's like quite complicated to have the Seattle, you know, Pacific uh, time zone and Australia time and Zambia time, but we figured it out and no big deal. It's not complicated. She's the expert. She knows exactly what uh, to do. And there are boots on the ground there in Zambia. They know what product for base you know, materials are available. And we're going to take it to the next level and, and start to scale from even where we're at now. And if you have any interest, go check out SoPowerful.org and look for our blog posts about our COVID response. We literally just, we, we made thousands and thousands and thousands of bars of soap and the community needed it and loves it. And uh, we're going to get better at it this year in 2022. So there you go, Chris, this is an example of what you're talking about. It really is that simple. You can find experts for many topics. I was just looking, for example, in the Pacific Northwest for co-packers, and they do exactly what Kyle described, which is they manufacture food items under their own private label, but then immediately generally will say, we're pack food for you. We have the facilities. I'm reading off their websites right now. We have the process label and packaging you know, equipment for creating your products we can also work with you to create your own unique flavors, on and on. And so, you know, the co-packers are, a well, I think, a well-known industry at this point on the food side. But there are other manufacturers who will do that similar type of work for people who are interested. And again, I'll just say, the, 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 the companies that we work with directly that make the most money, I think, as in terms of profit, are the closest to the manufacturing process, technically. And, and control it themselves or are like one deviation away from total base, you know, construction of a product. For example, they have it made and shipped in in one form and then they repackage and put it into the final package. You know, the, the companies with the biggest margins, that's the stuff they're doing. They're, they're close to their supply chain. And, you know, Kyle, to your point, part of it's about control too. For the control freaks among us, <laughs> you're way more comfortable if you're in charge of the process than if you have to, you know, go to get your product other places. So there you have it. Let's go for a final wrap up. Any final comments on this? We're 22 minutes in, but love any final thoughts or ideas. Yeah, I was just going to say, it strikes me that I've got three clients in the mastermind out of maybe 12, 13 businesses at the moment. So it's quite a high proportion that have some degree their own in-house manufacturing. And it really is very varied. And it struck me that actually, to I, I can't remember it was Kyle was saying that different parts of the supply chain you can step in there maybe it was you Jason that one of them for example has thousands of thousands of different components flown in or hundreds from China and then then they're constructed into fully functioning units in the UK warehouse which means they're somewhat vulnerable to uh, supply chain from China but they kind of add value themselves which is an interesting kind of halfway how which is maybe more doable than sort of starting from raw you know bits of plastic and then another one is uh, doing print on demand to your point Chris I mean he actually has in-house capacity so he's not dependent on Amazon or anybody else to to print his stuff but of course it's taken him a few years to build up to that point and then another person does manufacturing on behalf of other companies which is his only business model at the moment which is why i'm begging and on bended knee with him to create his own private label products because he's perfectly placed but to your point kyle he's kind of started with what you suggested which is you know making a, a cost base into a, you know a, a profit center 
and now he needs to add more. So there's quite a few ways to spin this. It strikes me from the reality of it. Yeah, I, I think the big picture, I think, in my mind, that you have to sort of solve, if, if you're doing something at the scale level. So if you're just starting off, great, you know, get get your proof of concept done, get your minimally viable product out there, start building units, start building up a community for it, make sure there's demand for a product. But when you're transitioning to hundreds of thousands of units a year, millions of units a year, the numbers you really have to be aware of, I think, are your labor costs, the the actual startup costs, what kind of sort of manufacturing you know, machinery do you need? And then what's your raw goods going to be? Because one of the advantages of manufacturing historically in China has been their cheap access to raw goods. And so those raw materials that are created in China get sort of baked into your cost that you pay for. Now, if you move that somewhere else to the US or to Mexico or some other place, you if they don't have the exact raw goods that you need in the raw materials, then you need to either, you have to import those in as well, or they might be able to be sourced uh, domestically in those locations, but it might cost you more money. So those are some of the the big factors in my mind that sort of come into play that you have to sort of do that cost analysis on. I think frequently about a line from the movie The Incredibles, where like Syndrome is like about to win and he's and he's going to sell all his inventions so that everybody becomes a super. And he says, "When everyone's super, then no one is." And I think about that all the time because of the time that we live in, where we all have a supercomputer in our pocket and you can listen to a show like this on Colin. And if you're like, I don't know how to do this. And Jason tells you, I need to find a soap person. So I've found one and reached out. And then we use this amazing technology on zoom where Africa is talking to Australia. Like it's all possible. And sometimes I think people want to have an excuse. They want to say, I don't know how to do that. Manufacturing. I don't know how to do that. Well, if you really want to, you can do it. But I see people make the excuse of thinking, well, if everybody can do this, then there's not going to be any opportunity. Like someone's already done it or someone's done it better. Like, no, like the opportunity is there and people just need to kind of step into it and be like, yes, I can do this. And if I don't know how to do it, I'll find someone like the opportunity is there. But I imagine if you're the only one with an iPhone, how cool you think you would be, right? How powerful the things you could do. But now we all have iPhones. We're like, eh, who cares? You know, it's iPhone X, right? It's a few years old. Who cares? Right. It's like, we're all still super, but we just have to actually act on it instead of making the excuse of like, well, I'm not like super, super. Like, I don't know. I've seen this by coaching people over the past 10 years. So I hope anybody listening had stumbled onto the shows, but like, what? That's exactly what I need. Thank you, Jason, for like just kind of confirming that, yes, I can find somebody. Like, it's really just about taking action at this point. There are really no barriers to finding the right knowledge that you need. And the manufacturers, they want to work with you. That's literally their job. Like, please. And I love the manufacturers that are saying, hey, if you want to make your own face cream, we can do that for you. And they make YouTube content and they show people what they're capable of and begging, say, look, please bring us your formula and we'll even help you market it. Like, the oper- there's the problem is there's too many opportunities. So find one and actually go for it. <laughs> it's totally true. That is so true, man. The problem is there's too many opportunities. Yeah, I to- totally agree with that. I think for the mature business owners who are listening, I would just say if you struggle with margins in your current suite of products, look into the opportunity to manufacture a related item that your customers would love and grow it as a little seedling in your garden of products 
and grow it up into a, a mature thing that could carry more financial weight inside your system. And, you know, that, that might be an approach. It won't ever be maybe the entirety of your revenue stream, but it certainly can play a part. And the way cost and margins work, a good solid product line with a wonderful margin will help your business radically. So, you know, the, the, just even if 20% or, or 30% of your total revenue comes from a product line that has a really good margin, it's going to radically improve your total, op, uh, total top line, you know, profits in your business. Hopefully that makes sense to everybody. Okay, guys, this has been a wonderful conversation. As always, your insights and points of view are terrific. Thanks, everybody, for joining us in the call-in app. And, or if you're listening to this on the e-commerce leader, we really appreciate your uh, enthusiasm for the show. We're growing like crazy. It's kind of cool to look at the stats. I always look at the Spotify stats, and it's just been a blast to see the audience continue to grow. So please do uh, follow us on the player of choice that you like and subscribe and or like and or whatever action you can take to show support for the show. It's incredibly helpful to us. Feel free to share it with your friends as well. All right, guys, I'm going to wrap it there. As always, it's an honor. Thanks for hanging out today. That was the e-commerce leader podcast with Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app. For free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products, and sales channels, just go to www.theecommerceleader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>